This is the Becker's Healthcare Podcast, created by the team of Becker's Healthcare, a multimedia company devoted to the people who power U.S. healthcare. Four new 15-minute episodes are released daily, containing industry news, analysis, and thought leadership from powerful healthcare decision makers. Support our show by leaving it a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or other platforms you use. It's a chance to tell us what you like about the show and act on your feedback. Thanks for listening. Now here's the episode. Welcome back to the Becker's Healthcare Podcast, devoted to the people who power U.S. healthcare. I'm Molly Gamble with Becker's, and delighted to have you join us for another episode filled with insights from healthcare leaders. Today, from Juan Fernando LaPera, Chief DEI Officer with Beth Israel Leahy Health. Juan, thank you for being our podcast guest today. How are you, and where does the podcast find you? Hi, Molly. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, I am uh, currently in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where our uh, team is uh, our executive team is situated. Uh, we we are a health system across Eastern Mass um, with hospitals, uh, fourteen hospitals across Eastern Mass and Southern New Hampshire also now, but uh, currently situated in Cambridge. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for dialing in, Juan. And I'm looking forward to conversing with you today. You are the inaugural health system DEI officer at Beth Israel Leahy. And I thought we could start there. You know, what pioneering experiences, what first-time challenges are you anticipating as you are serving and encountering your new role? Yes. So, um, well, let me start by saying that that this Relahi Health came together almost five years ago as a system. Uh, we have two large academic medical centers, the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston, then um, our Leahy uh, Hospital Medical Center in Burlington, Massachusetts. Uh, but then, as I mentioned, we have multiple um, community hospitals uh, and other teaching hospitals across this very large system serving uh, 1.6 million patients. Um, we have about 36,000 employees. So, um, so there were a lot, a lot of firsts, uh, a lot of inaugural roles, as you would imagine, uh, uh, with uh, a system of this size coming together. Uh, and uh, the Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer was, was one of those. Um, so the, the system came together in March 2019. The DEI office and the DEI officer role was established in 2021 after, uh, after the murder of George Floyd and after we saw the disproportionate impact that COVID had. Uh, particularly in um, low-income, diverse communities. Um, and it, it really started with significant commitment from the executive team, from the chief uh, uh, executive officer, Dr. Kevin Tabb, and, and a significant commitment from the board uh, about the importance of this role uh, and making it really a C-suite level role, which is the role that I, uh, that I uh, came into. So, so when we first... Um, started on this journey around diversity, equity, and inclusion, we created a vision for the work. And the vision um, is to transform care delivery by dismantling barriers to equitable health outcomes and become the premier health system to attract, retain, and develop diverse talent. So that was our vision. We then set out uh, three major aims or pillars of the work. The, the first pillar is uh, to have a workforce that uh, mirrors the increase in diversity in the communities that we serve. We uh, place special focus on leadership representation and, um, and also representation in nursing and in physician roles. 
where we find that there's less representation. So that's the first pillar. The second pillar is uh, related to our patients, and it is to eradicate uh, health disparities that exist across our patient population. And then our third is uh, around investing in uh, community, particularly in um, uh, historically marginalized communities. And we do that through our community benefits work, which I also oversee, but also um, as an anchor institution in our region, uh, we uh, can invest in communities through uh, the contracts and vendors that we, um, that we do business with. And, and we have um, a focus on doing uh, more contracts with um, minority-owned businesses, women-owned, LGBT-owned, disabled-owned, uh, veteran-owned businesses. So those are our three major pillars, uh, workforce, patients, and community. Mm -hmm. I mean, why I had the privilege of last week connecting with a few different officers in similar roles as what you serve in, in Beth Israel Leahy. And one thing they said time and time again was this is not work that you can prove or show the ROI from Jan 1 of the year to December 31st. This is really some long-term efforts. Can you talk a bit about how you report on this work? Who do you report to in your organization? What does that relationship look like? Uh, how often do you meet the outcomes? And how, how do you assess these long-term improvements that you're working toward over an extended period of time? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So the role uh, was established to be an executive-level position reporting to the CEO, Dr. Kevin Tabb. And uh, the way we've... You know, as, as, as you mentioned, that you know this work around equity is a journey. It's uh, difficult to um, close disparities in, in in one year or, or one fiscal year for a hospital. It requires both long-term aims, but then also uh, measurable goals. So, uh, what we have done um, with the executive team and with endorsement from the board of trustees is that we've established um, uh, goals that we that we do measure on, the, on an annual basis to see the incremental impact that we're having across the three pillars that I mentioned. So for workforce, as an example, we have a fiscal goal every year where we measure new hires and we look to, um, to have, um, we have an aim to, to have at least 25% representation of new hires in leadership roles, um, in physicians and nurses. We actually just completed fiscal year 23 and we uh, were able to achieve that goal. And we have actually achieved that goal in years past. Uh, we, for health equity, we also have a goal and we started with diabetes where we measured the health disparities that existed, that exist within our patient population. Um, we have expanded it to the diabetes and hypertension. Those are obviously very closely connected in terms of cardiometabolic disease. Um, and there we also set out a goal. Uh, we uh, first measured the disparities and found uh, disparities existed across our patient populations. And the goal was to close those disparities by 25% uh, in this most recent fiscal year. We um, uh, ha are finalizing the data for fiscal 23 and are seeing that we actually did make progress towards that closure uh, of the disparity, but we didn't quite get to that full 25% closure. No surprise, it's been deep-rooted 
um, long-standing disparities in healthcare are really difficult to, to tackle, but we were able to measure the incremental improvement. More importantly, uh, we build a lot of foundational work to address health disparities. Uh, we have much more robust health equity measurement tools. Um, we've uh, brought interventions to uh, primary care practices that experience the highest disparities. Um, those interventions included bilingual health navigators, included digital tools like continuous glucose monitoring devices, uh, uh, and, and several others, uh, blood pressure cuffs, et cetera, that uh, historically uh, were not provided in some of these practices. Um, so those are those are a few of the things we have done. Um, there's several other interventions we've done, but just to give you a few examples. And then the third measure that we look at on an annual basis is how what percentage of spending um, do we have with diverse suppliers? And we have a goal to increase the baseline year over year. Uh, this most recent year, we actually exceeded the, the goal, which was a 25% increase in spending with diverse suppliers. We significantly exceeded that goal. So. Um, yes, it's hard to measure uh, sort of the the overall impact of these things, but we, we think we have a unique approach uh, and significant support from from leadership, from the board, um, and from the folks that are doing the work on a day to day basis to to show the, the measurable the measurable impact of uh, of our equity efforts. I think you put it so well when you said, you know, long-term aims, and I imagine it sounds like quite ambitious aims at that, and then measurable goals. And as long as there's great alignment in the C-suite and with the board, I mean, that's the way to pursue pursue this work. I mean, that's some impressive stats you shared. You, you mentioned the diabetes and the hypertension to cut that disparity by 25% per year. Is that right, Juan? That's right. Yeah. So we that's our uh, our annual goal to close that disparity. Okay. Um, that is the one where we um, we've achieved about half of that closure. Uh, so we haven't quite gotten there, but even even half of that would be uh, is, is demonstrable impact um, in the efforts that we're putting in place uh, that are still fairly. Um, you know, fairly fairly early in in the development. Uh, there's a lot of health equity foundational work that uh, many systems like our like our own are putting in place. Um, and, and there's a lot more uh, requirements, um, whether it's the Joint Commission, whether it's CMS, whether it's our local Medicaid uh, state program, uh, whether it's commercial payers that now are embedding health equity incentives into value-based contracts. So, um, you know, while we haven't quite closed the gap we wanted to close, We've built uh, infrastructure that's allowing us to do well in these new arrangements with public and private payers. Um, and so that's, uh, you know, we see that as long-term uh, work. Uh, is, you know, yes, it's good to have an annual goal that we measure ourselves against, and it's quite an audacious goal. But more importantly, uh, what we're doing now is going to set us up for the future, of, uh, and that future includes significantly more requirements and incentives uh, on their value-based contracts. Uh, that embed health equity incentives. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, Juan, the other thing I learned about you in preparing for our conversation was you made the move to provider from payer, um, which I, I I feel like I don't have any numbers to back me up on this, but I feel like 
I see more moves from provider to payer. You did the reverse. Um, can you highlight any distinct differences in your current role compared to your health plan experience, specifically in terms of how the work is approached or executed? Anything worth noting in the difference between provider and payer, or is it by and large pretty similar to what you were doing with the health plan? Yeah, you know, the ultimate goal is similar. Uh, it's, um, it's about the moral and both the moral imperative and the economic imperative of, of this work. Uh, the approaches are obviously uh, uh, unique to, to each, uh, given that uh, I guess the tools that are at the disposal of a health insurance company are going to be different from, um, from the providers and the care delivery side. Um, I did start my career in, in uh, health insurance. I started in consulting consulting for health insurance companies and then spent time at Blue Cross um, and then also uh, a local large payer. Um, you know, that, the work I did there really started on, on healthcare financing, healthcare affordability. Um, so coming from that background, and I stood up at the uh, DE&I program um, uh, for a large payer, here as well, and my approach has always been um, about making this work um, not not just the moral imperative because it is, but really connecting it to um, to an organization's uh, imperative from an economic standpoint, from a strategic standpoint, um, uh, and um, and we know that um, healthcare affordability and health equity are really inextricably linked. Uh, and uh, we've done a good amount of work locally that uh, now has uh, shown the significant cost of healthcare disparities to the healthcare system. We did a, uh, in Massachusetts, um, part of a group that I, external group that I co-founded, we um, collaborated on a study uh, that showed that in Massachusetts, the cost of health disparities is uh, on an annual basis, 5.5 billion. Um, and about 1.5 billion of that 5.9 billion is um, attributed to avoidable health spending, healthcare spending. There's also 1.4 billion that's connected to lost in labor productivity, and then about 3 billion a year that's due to premature deaths. And that's just in Massachusetts. A similar study was done nationally by Deloitte, actually, uh, that uh, showed the cost of inequalities is 320 billion. And then um, that, that's only going to grow to about $1 trillion by 2040, given that the same communities that are most impacted by health disparities are the fastest-growing communities. So, um, so that's kind of the lens that I look through when I think about this work around equity, and, and, and I think I attribute a lot of that, uh, uh, thinking about both the moral and the economic imperative, to the work I did before coming here, when I, where I had to think about healthcare affordability. And now that I'm responsible for equity work, I can see how those two are inextricably linked. Being on the care delivery side, uh, what got me most excited about joining Bethesda really Health is the ability to really uh, to make an impact um, that's closer to the action, closer to the community, closer to uh, how patients experience care, um, and being able to to, to have more direct impact um, for a much larger organization uh, having come from a health plan that served sizable member population, but uh, in a much smaller footprint than the one that I that I have now with uh, 
36,000 employees serving 1.6 million patients. So, um, so that's, that's how I, I've been able to bring um, kind of that payer experience and healthcare affordability to now leading equity work and how I continue to connect those two. Um, because as I said, health equity and health affordability are inextricably, inextricably linked. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed too, you said, um, I can sense this sometimes in conversing about equity and inclusion, it sometimes feels like the business case for it is, uh, it's like the last argument, right? It's like, oh, well, if the moral imperative wasn't enough, here are the dollars that show what a problem this is. But I, I think to your point, that information really is crucial to these conversations. You need to treat it as a whole package. Um, versus thinking that it's the moral imperative or the business case. I think when you just illustrate those facts about 5.5 billion in Massachusetts wasted due to health inequities, um, you broke down that figure for us. I mean, that is a issue that is immediately elevated for a number of different stakeholders versus somebody who might just think that work falls on the DEI officer at any one system or organization. Um, Is that a fair read on things? Do you see things any differently? Yeah, no, no, that's right. I think, you know, it is a societal uh, responsibility to address this. And uh, the moral imperative alone had gotten us there, then we would have seen much more change and much more right. closure of disparities. So you hand the reason to look at both um, and, uh, and and to really address this as, as, as both a moral and economic imperative, because um, uh, it is. Uh, and also, uh, the more we're starting to see um, health equity incentives be connected to um, pay for performance, value-based contracts, then the more um, the economic imperative becomes clear uh, and also the more resources that can be deployed to doing the work because um, this this work won't be completed on its own. You know, if we analyze health disparities but then don't have resources to bring interventions uh, to to practices, then um, then we're just looking at, we're just observing we're, uh, the disparities, we're not doing anything about it, um, and it takes resources. So the fact that um, payers, both public and private, are starting to invest more in these type of incentives is providing systems like our like our own, the, the ability to bring the resources that are needed to actually close these gaps. Juan, as we wind down here, you know, I want, I would love to turn to you for a piece of advice that you'd share to other leaders who are also like you first to head up DEI roles within their organization. I just sat next to a first time inaugural DEI officer at a very prominent academic health system last week. There's many others who like you are the first in their systems chapters to hold this role. Um, Others who might be looking at similar roles in the near to midterm future. What's one piece of advice you'd share with them from your time with Beth Israel Leahy so far? Well, if, if I'm able to, maybe I'll, I'll just give you um, top, the top three and I'll do it sure. quick. Uh, the first one is um, that it is hard to, to accomplish um, the type of transformational change that's needed for this work uh, without uh, support from the top. And that includes the executive team, that includes the board. Um, to get that buy-in and that support, um, we have to ensure that the case for the DEI is comprehensive, as comprehensive as possible. And we talked about the moral and the economic impact.
imperative. But uh, we also talked about how this work is has to be about the workforce, has to be about the patient, has to be about the community, and, and, and there needs to, those need to be all, all of those need to be the key pillars of the work. Um, not one alone will solve the significant um, disparities that exist. Um, the second one is that there is no equity, I like to call it, there's no equity in averages. So when we look at data, uh, whether it's related to workforce representation, whether it's related to health disparities, there's no, no equity in averages. So we need to stratify, we need to stratify the data as much as possible uh, to, to understand the disparities and then be able to intervene. Um, and then the third I'll say is uh, equity work is everyone's work. While there may be a diversity officer, uh, a diversity office, um, everyone needs to and should contribute to this work uh, because again, it is a societal issue that we need to address um, to, to really close these long-standing, deeply rooted disparities that exist uh, within, within healthcare and beyond. Three great pieces of advice to close with. So Juan Fernando Lopera, Chief Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Officer with Beth Israel Leahy Health. I want to thank you very much for being my guest today, Juan. I, as we near 2024, I hope at some point next year, we can loop back with you and hear about the progress you made on, like you said, those long-term aims, but measurable goals. Um, it was a pleasure speaking with you today, Juan. Thanks for being my guest. Thank you for the time. Appreciate it. It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks. To help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized, and meaningful way, Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's Healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there. Mm-hmm.